You're back here from the Vancouver Resource Investment Conference with Mining Stock Daily and myself, Trevor Hall. And right now, sitting next to Paul Westsells, CEO of Western Copper and Gold, trading on the TSX and the NYSE American with WRN, as always. Paul, good to be in your neck of the woods once again. You know what? It's always a pleasure to talk to you, Trevor. I'm always happy to talk to you in Vancouver. You're actually up here uh, at VREC, uh, pretty busy up here. I'm pretty happy to see that. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 there's a lot of energy here on the floor of VREC. I mean, I was at Roundup, obviously, that was well attended as well. Um, So let's maybe talk a little bit why there's such an uplifting mood right now. Obviously, Western Copper and Gold, you have breakout moves in both metals, uh, which is nice to see. Let's focus on gold because obviously everybody loves gold. We're hanging around this 1930 area. You know, with the gold being in the portfolio at Casino, you know, what are investors looking at? I guess, are you a copper company or a gold company right now? That's a big question. Uh, or are we a Molly company, actually? Or Molly. Yeah, yeah, I haven't even, haven't talked about that. You know what, we're, it, it's interesting, it's, it's Western copper and gold and significant revenue from both the copper and the gold part, but it's always a little bit more uh, copper. Um, but I mean, gold is significant. And um, yeah, I mean, $1,900 gold makes a big impact. $4 copper. I mean, it was, it's interesting. I mean, we saw a bottom last year in copper. The bottom was three dollars and twenty cents. Uh, now, I mean, it hit four. It hit four twenty. I mean, we're going to see five dollar copper this. I mean, I'm not alone saying that. I mean, everyone's saying we're going to see five dollar plus copper this year. And then molybdenum. And I don't talk about molybdenum very much, but molybdenum represents, you know, from our feasibility study where we use fourteen dollar molybdenum. It represented, I believe, 17% of the overall revenue. At $32, it represents, uh, you know, significantly more. And I think more importantly, and more important for investors, uh, you know, when we published our feasibility study, the project had, you know, a, a uh, 18% IRR, 2.3 billion net present value. I just ran it last week with $4 copper, $1,900 gold. $32 Molly, and then, the, you know, the current Canadian U.S. exchange rate, $5.5 billion net present value. Wow. Wow. And, I mean, I think the IRR was 28 or something. I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. I mean, that and this is why people like these projects, like these large porphyry projects. 27 years from the feasibility study, my, you know, listeners might recall that I did a PEA a few years ago, talked about it, you know, with a phase two, it goes to 50 years. That's only two-thirds. 50 years is two-thirds of the over known resource. It goes on and on and on. You're going to hit a bunch of these cycles like we're going through right now over the life of the mine and make a lot of money. Uh, I'm going to say words I don't think I've ever said on the podcast. Leverage to the molybdenum price. <laughs> Yeah, and, and you think about molybdenum, you know, I've watched it. It's it's interesting, and and so molybdenum's an interesting uh, metal, and there's a couple of things. One one is that it, you know historically has been a pipeline metal, right? So you see natural gas prices go up and molly prices go up because they're building more pipelines and things like that. But it's also a battery metal, and where it's used is it's used 
in the magnets and then and in those sort of areas. And so it's beginning, you know, people, investors are starting to jump onto that. And the thing about Molly is that, you know, it sort of sits around $12, $14, and then it'll go on a run, and it, when it goes on a run, it sits at 30 to 35 and, you know, this time around we might see 40 but it does that for, like, five years, and then it drops back for another five, ten years. So it, when it goes on a run, it goes on a big run because it's just a smaller metal. Yeah, interesting. Uh, so... There was news a few weeks ago that Rio Tinto has uh, extended its partnership, uh, its work with Western Copper and Gold and the Casino Project. Um, you know, I think it was kind of given that that was what they were going to do. I don't think the market was shocked or surprised by any means. But the work continues, and you put out new, uh, you know, more drill results and also metallurgical test work. Uh, in cooperation with Rio Tinto, can you know walk us through or tell us what that work represents? I mean, it, you know, obviously, just continued more work with Rio Tinto to get to whatever that next final step might might be. Yeah, and and you know what what I think is important to understand is that we are now complete the sort of technical work that. So there's two phases. There's an original scope of, of technical work that Rio wanted to do. And then we agreed to uh, some additional technical work that Rio wanted to do beginning of last year. And, you know, that is all complete. Now, I mean, could they come back and say, we want to do some more work? Yes, but that's, you know, not what I'm hearing from them. So all that technical work is complete. And if you look at the work that was done in, you know, you look at, and I'm going to talk about the Met results. There's a couple of important things with the Met results. First of all, if you look at the Met work that was done, in, uh, you, what you'll notice is you'll say, well, they didn't do anything new. They just redid old Met work with new samples. Exactly. Because what Rio wanted to do was just double, triple check everything. And that's exactly what we did with the Met work. Same thing with the drilling. You go back to the drilling results that I released in 2021. It's drilling the core of the deposit areas where we had drill hole before. It's just, you know, double, triple checking all this. So again, you know, I can't emphasize enough. I mean, what Rio's been doing is an advanced due diligence project. Now, that's great. The other thing you'll notice, and I say this in the press release, is that um, for starting with the heat bleach results, the heat bleach results, what we carried in the feasibility study was a gold recovery of 80%. Very simple. You look at the... So we ran... You know, six column tests. I think we reported on uh, in in the new in the press release. I believe that the average was eighty five. Five percent is a lot, and you know we're not going to go back and reissue a feasibility study. But you can look at that and say, you know what? There's probably a little bit more gold recovery that you're actually going to achieve when you build this and be in mind. It's not lost on anyone particularly Rio Tinto. The other one is the float results. If you look at the float results, the copper came in, and it's the focus. Again, back to what we were talking about earlier, it's still, you know, the casino project is still always primarily a copper mine. The copper results were as we carried in the feasibility study, but if you look at the gold, the gold popped up a little bit. Again, we're not, and, and it was like... You know, it was different lithologies and, and you know, we're going to have to dig into it. But at the end of the day, you know, it suggests that you're going to get a little bit better gold on that, maybe a little bit better molly as well. So, you know, it's not enough to 
drive us to say, we've got such great results here that we're going to redo feasibility study. But, you know, people doing diligence, the Rio Tintos, hopefully our investors can look at that and go, yeah, again and again and again, this thing, this project is just being validated and validated and validated as being, you know, uh, the feasibility study is being validated and even the suggestion that it might be a bit better. So the extension of your partnership with Rio Tinto, that's for one full year, correct? Yeah, and that actually goes back. So what's imp- another thing that's important here is that actually goes back to the original agreement. So the original agreement had this one-year extension built in with the idea that if we got to the end of 2022 and, weren't, and we weren't quite done, there was one more year. So that, that has been enacted, that one more year. After that one more year, so that expires November 28th of this year, of 2023. At that point, there's no more extensions as part of the original agreement. Doesn't mean we can't sit down and negotiate that, but that's not the discussions that we're having. And the discussions we're having is, well, it's more of the discussions we anticipate to have is going to be what's next in terms of the partnership. Well, I think that's the big question. I mean, obviously, it is the big question. What is next? I mean, obviously, uh, I think you and the board would love to see Casino being acquired outright. I mean, this project has been on the books for quite some time. It's it's ready and needs to go to that next stage that somebody such as a Rio Tinto would be capable of doing. But there's probably a couple other cards to play. Is there? I mean, if you're talking... November 28th and then you know, some sort of negotiation starts I mean I guess the question is is there is there a second suitor a, a, you know plan B if plan A doesn't work out for you and your shareholders I mean yeah there's a plan B there's a plan there's a plan C uh, I mean and I think I've said this before I mean ever since we signed that agreement with Rio We've been we've been hell bent on getting some other people involved, and that's progressing well. That's progressing very well, uh, and you know we'll we'll see how that sort of comes together. Uh, but the other thing I wanted to point out, I mean, you know, people sort of say, well, okay, you're going to get to November 28th, and then you're going to start negotiating. That's not the, really the way it's, it is. I mean, it's it's more. I mean, if we get to November 28th and we're, and we're just starting, I think that all of us have done something wrong. I mean, the idea here is that we need to, like, because, I mean, Rio's got special specific rights right now. They want to continue to have those. We should know which way the wind's blowing in terms of, you know, what they want to do. We'll have a better idea of what we want to do, I think, by mid-year this year. Okay. All right. So until mid-year... What type of news do we expect from the casino project? Yeah, I mean, so I think a lot of the news over the next, I mean, that's the next six months, right? So the next six months is there's a couple of uh, interesting things that are going to happen. They're going to really impact the project, but they're actually going to be almost external. So there was a very interesting tweet that actually came out, came from the Minister of Energy Mines and Resources in the Yukon about connecting the BC and Yukon grids. And it was just, you know, very high level saying, you know, excited to begin the conversations on this. I mean, 
we've talked to the Yukon government about this. Uh, there's a new premier. He's very. This is one of his pet projects. He's very excited about it. Um, I think we're going to see some announcements on that. Why is? I mean, that is important for so many reasons. Uh, you know, obviously we've got a very robust project. Much more robust if we have grid power. The other thing is that uh, you know it, it helps. It, it, you know, we we are producing a very green product, but with the grid power, it's an even greener product. And the other thing is, is that this, you know, talking to the Yukon government about this grid uh, interconnection, it, it's really going to be a win-win. It's going to open up the north. It's going to, they're, they're thinking about potentially being a, it being an indigenous-led sort of ownership. Anyhow, there's, there's a whole bunch of conversations. I mean, it's just starting right now, but really excited about that. And, you know, I anticipate we'll have some more announcements about that. Uh, we've got an economic impact study that's going to be coming out here fairly soon. Um, and again, it, it, it's, it just goes to show the importance of this project, not only for uh, the Yukon, but even for Canada. You know, when we've looked at this and we've benchmarked this, this project is actually the largest critical minerals project in Canada by revenue, because it's got that copper and it's got the molybdenum, which are both critical minerals. Plus it's, you know, as you know, a sizable mine. So this is an important project for Canada. This economic impact study will, will really be showing that. And um, I decided to get that out. So those are two things that I, you know, we're going to see. We're going to be announcing the summer field program, what that looks like, some stuff on permitting. Yeah. Last time I saw you was, uh, holy cow, a week ago at UConn night. Uh, I have been in this city for way too long, Paul, let me tell you. Uh, but it was a week ago at UConn night. And I can't remember if it was you or if I was talking to Brandon McDonald, but when Premier Ranj Pillai did his little opening state statement, he said, like, it was some sincere and positive energy behind his statement. I remember, I can't remember if I turned back to you or if it was, if it was Brandon, I was like, that actually was very encouraging because he made it seems like now is the time, we have the resources and the ability to take that next step at Yukon mining projects to be a positive source of not only minerals but also economic development for their communities, their First Nations, everybody involved. How do you think of the energy behind Yukon exploration and mine development now compared to where it was last year? Obviously Rio Tinto's in, uh, Newmont has started saying that they're going to spend more time at coffee. And obviously you have the Lundin family in at Mac Pass with fireweed and metals. How does, you know, how, how, heavy, how heavy is the tailwind in Yukon right now? I guess is a big question. No, and, and you know, you, you hit a lot of the, the key points. I mean, let's just start with the obvious. I mean, we, the premier, the new premier of the Yukon, spent six years, I think, as the Minister of Energy Mines Resources. There is not a jurisdiction in Canada where the Premier's previous job was actually as the Mines Minister. He understands mining, he likes mining, he views it as a significant source of growth for both, for, for the Yukon. And so that is enormous. And then, yeah, I mean, you know, we've been talking about, I mean, the Yukon, I mean, this almost feels like the new quote-unquote gold rush, but it's almost the critical minerals <laughs> rush of the Yukon. I mean, 
you know, I, I, we bring in Rio Tinto into Casino. Uh, you know, Firewood Metals brings in Lundin. Uh, as you said, like the other majors, I mean, Newmont is is really i mean they've sort of been sitting on coffee but i, I think I, I don't know exactly what's going on there but you know they are our next door neighbors i know that it's a big push push now they're really getting excited about it and i think people are, and like you know you had that potential grid interconnect in there and wow right and and then you know let's be honest stuff like snowline gold i mean getting you know brand new untouched underexplored area and getting like be honest bonanza is sort of grades and intercepts right so um lots of excitement i mean you kind of just just when everyone's like oh yeah that's yesterday's news you know come back and and it's really it's 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 a couple of things i think that are really driving the yukon it's it's that it's under it's just the last frontier so you know you're seeing this new exploration coming in and all those good results but it's also that the government's the territorial government, the First Nation governments, all that are all pulling in the right direction in terms of trying to make all this happen, you know, in a positive way, in a way that's positive for Indigenous people, in a way that's positive for the Yukon. And it's, you know, I mean, there's fits and starts, and it all takes too long, but it, for the most part, it's working. Is the Yukon prepared for that next step? Does it have the resources to take care of the capital and the people that will be needed when these projects actually start producing? I mean, we talk about that all the time. It's a huge issue. Yeah, we talk about it all the time. We talk about, you know, I mean, so as you said, you've been here for a week of Roundup. I've been here. I, I met with a number of the, the Yukon ministers. I mean, we talk housing. We talk staffing. We talk road infrastructure, you know, which, you know, we've talked about before. We talk power. I mean, all these things, uh, like it's, it's, you know, they're, I mean, you know, like like every government, you know, we always think that they could be on top of it a bit better. But you know, we're talking about it now, and uh, and so it's it's on their radar, and you know, that's they'll get to it. All right, Paul. Uh, good to connect with you once again. Thanks for the conversation. Uh, we've been what is it? Four years now. You and I have been having four years. <laughs> We appreciate your continued support of the podcast. Uh, That's your update from Western Copper and Gold, their casino project in Yukon from CEO Paul West Sells. They trade on the TSX and the NYSE American with WRN. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.